Okay, welcome to today's episode of the show. It's good to be back with y'all. So I was asked by a friend of mine, well, let me back up a little bit. I just recently finished a two-week series on First John, teaching Sunday school at my church, and I was asked by one of my friends if I would re-record them and upload them to the podcast. So here I am doing that very thing. So without any further ado, let's jump right into the lesson and get started. So I'm sure you've seen these signs around your town. For those of you who are on YouTube, you can see the sign. For those of you who are listening on audio, I'll describe it to you. So signs around town that says something like, in this house we believe black lives matter, women's rights are human rights, no human is illegal, science is real, love is love, kindness is everything. I'm sure you've seen those signs around town. In the town in which I live, there is an area of town that is populated by a number of college professors who work at the state university in the town in which I live. Gee, I just wonder why the area of town that's populated by college professors, one of the most liberal professions, or one of the professions most populated by liberals, happens to have these signs in their neighborhood. I'm sure that's just a total coincidence. Anyway, when you see these signs, some of these things sound really nice and... I don't know, what's the word, what's that buzzword, tolerant. They sound really tolerant, really really kind and welcoming. So when you hear a sign like Black Lives Matter, even if you attempt to detach it from the movement, which you really can't, but even if you were to detachment for, detach it from the movement, it sounds really noble on the surface, Black Lives Matter. Who would disagree with such terminology? Which is actually why it is one of the most genius names for an organization, at least in my lifetime, if not in human history. I mean, Black Lives Matter... Who's going to disagree with that? Well, when you find out what that group's actually all about, you recognize why you should disagree with them. But what does that sign really mean? Well, it really means basically if you don't support Black Lives Matter, the organization, and all that it stands for, then you are literally Hitler. You are literally the Klan. You are literally killing and oppressing black people. And you are literally supporting white supremacy and the oppression of minorities and things like that. And then the whole women's rights or human's rights, that sounds, actually that doesn't even sound nice on the surface at all because what it really means is leave me alone while I murder my baby. And then love is love. What does that even mean? A first year logic student can tell you that when you define a term by the term itself, that it's a circular definition. It doesn't teach you anything. It doesn't illuminate anything. It doesn't define anything. It explains nothing for you whatsoever. It would be like if I were to say a circus performer is Somebody who performs in a circus. Gee, thanks. That teaches me absolutely nothing whatsoever. But when you see that sign, love is love. Sorry, thought I heard a, one of my children or somebody coming in, but apparently not. Anyway, so when you see that sign, love is love, what is actually meant by it? Well, I know what's meant by it. It, meant, it's, it means that fornication, homosexuality transgenderism or any other sexual expression that is clearly condemned by God and that has been condemned by all decent cultures in the history of human civilizations are to be accepted and not just simply accepted but praised praised as true good and beautiful it's reminiscent of Winston Smith and his experience with Big Brother in Orwell's novel 1984 so Winston Smith is attempting to subvert Big Brother, and he eventually gets caught by Big Brother. And it isn't enough for Big Brother to stop Winston, and is it enough for Winston to say he'll never subvert the state again? It's not even enough for Winston to say that he agrees with Big Brother and that he will support Big Brother. 
Winston has to love Big Brother. Big Brother wants to be loved. They don't just want capitulation. They want adoration as well. And in the end, one of the saddest final lines of any novel ever, Big Brother wins. The final line to 1984 is something to the effect of, and he loved Big Brother. Big Brother tortured Winston Smith into submission, into getting him to actually have adoration for Big Brother. And that's essentially what the LGBTQ plus wants from culture is not just submission to their sins, but approval of their sins, cheering on their sins as they commit them, and for us to not just be okay with them, but to truly and actually love them. Now, I don't really need, if you're listening to this podcast, I don't really need to convince you that that's the case. You recognize that that's the case. You know, it started out in the 60s and 70s with the free love movement. And then in the 1980s and 90s, homosexuals just want to be accepted, be a normal part of society. And then from there it was, we just want the same rights as other married couples. And then as soon as they got those same rights as married couples with the Obergefell decision in 2015, and you saw the floodgates open and the transgender movement really picked up pace and started ramping up. And you saw that it was just a ruse. It wasn't just about getting the same sort of rights as everybody else. It was about flaunting their perverted sexuality in everybody's face and everybody being okay with it and accepting it and loving it, much like Big Brother wanted Winston Smith to love them. So thankfully, we have God's word to give us direction on what love is, how to define it, and what it means to love. So how to define it and then how to actually do it. Because our world, and what I mean by the world, I mean the systems, institutions, and principalities that are set up in opposition to God and his word. And I actually had somebody ask me, okay, so what do you, can you define systems, institutions, and principalities? And I thought that was fair. So systems would be something like an alternate religion, Islam, Mormonism, Hinduism, or any sort of worldview or ideology, critical race theory would be a system that would be set up in opposition to God. So when somebody like Neil Shenvey and others who are Christians capitulate and say that, yeah, you know, critical race theory is a good analytical tool. It's actually not. It's a it's a crappy analytical tool. Uh, our analytical tool is the Bible. That's the primary analytical tool that we have and that we use, if not the only one by which we judge everything else. So that, that sort of a system. And then an institution would be an institution like Hollywood, which is totally liberalized. That's a completely worldly institution. They're completely set up against God and his word. Uh, Disney would be an organization, an institution that's set up against God and his word. Just about every professional sports <clears throat> uh, league is set up against God and his word. And then principalities would be you know demonic, supernatural powers that are set up in opposition to God and his, and his word. So that world... It tells us that love is ultimately predicated on what you feel in your heart and that you must, like a good Disney movie, follow your heart. While the Bible contrasts that by telling us that our hearts are sick and untrustworthy and that love is predicated on obedience and service. So from the book of John, we see, or I identified three definitions of love. Now, I'm sure there's more than three ways you could define love from 1 John, and there's certainly more than three ways to define love from the Bible, but I just I landed on three ways and... I'll tell you those three ways. So number one, 
Uh, love is faithfulness to God. Number two, love is obedience to God's commands. And number three, love is special affection for the brethren, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And in this first episode, I'll probably just deal with love being faithfulness to God. And then in the next episode, like I did on my Sunday school lesson, I'll deal with the last two, love being obedience to God's commandments and love being a special affection for our brothers in Christ. So, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Let me read those for you. Here's what they say. Again, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father but of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So this same principle that we're hearing in those passages that John wrote, this idea not to love the world. If you attempt to love the world, then you do not have the love of the Father. This is echoed in Christ in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount when God says you can't serve both God and mammon. Some translations say wealth, maybe material possessions. So you can't serve both God and money, God and wealth, God and mammon. And you could really extend that out. You can't serve both God and fill in the blank. You can't serve both God and your sexual appetites. You can't serve both God and material possessions, right? You can't serve both God and your family in terms of where your ultimate allegiance lies. That's what's at the heart of Matthew chapter 6. Yes, Jesus is specifically warning about money and material possessions and the kind of impact that those things have on us and tend to become idols in our heart. But we see generally that you can't serve both God and something else. And so John is echoing what he learned from his master, this idea that you cannot serve the institutions, systems, and principalities set up in opposition to God and his word and God at the same time. It's not going to work. And then we also see a similar lesson to be learned from the Apostle Paul. So in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10... Paul's speaking to the Galatians, and he says to them that if he sought to please men, he wouldn't be Christ's servant. Now, let me give a little bit of context context to flesh that out and help that make more sense. So in the book of Galatians, Paul is dealing with the Judaizer heresy. A group of men had wormed their way into the churches in Galatia and in other places too, but with this specific occasion of the letter of Galatians, Some Judaizers had wormed their way into the Galatian churches, and what they taught was that you had to have adherence to the law of Moses and faith in Christ, and specifically circumcision. So they were part of the circumcision party. And so it was Jesus plus circumcision, and that that was the way to become a Christian. And so Paul was warning the Galatians in sharp, biting language, listen, you are accepting a gospel that is not a gospel. This idea of Jesus plus this work, Jesus plus circumcision, being the key to salvation and the key to justification by faith alone, it totally blows that out of the water, and you are being persuaded to follow something that is not a gospel. And Paul is saying, when he says, if I sought to please men, I wouldn't be Christ's servant. He's saying, look, if I, if I just wanted to write to you to make you feel good, if I was writing just to be a people pleaser, then I wouldn't be Christ's servant. Because you can't be a people pleaser 
and Christ's servant. The two things don't coexist. And this is going to be a recurring theme of this episode, is this idea that you cannot syncretize Christianity with something else and still call it Christianity. It ceases to be Christianity. If it's Christianity and wealth, if it's Christianity and loving the world, if it's being Christ's servant, Christianity, and pleasing men, th- those don't syncretize. Christianity needs to stand on its, own at, on its own as the standard, the foundation. You can't stay, in other words, committed to both for long. You can't stay committed b- to both God and fill in the blank for long. Eventually, one's going to win your allegiance. Sure, you can try to put one toe in the kingdom, one toe in the world. You can try to balance both of them for a time, but eventually, one's going to win your allegiance. And woe to you whom something other than God wins your allegiance. All right, let me reference another passage from 1 John. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 5, here's what it says. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. So within the context of 1 John chapter 4, well, who are they? Well, they are false prophets and false teachers. So John's referring to false prophets and false teachers. They're the ones who are of the world. They speak as of the world, and the world hears them. And that's important to hone in on. And I'm really going to, with this next section, hone in on that point. They speak as of the world. They sound like the systems, institutions, and principalities set up against God and his word. And those systems, institutions, and principalities hear them. They listen to them. So while these false prophets and these false teachers, the world likes them and they like the world. Now, specifically, John's dealing with an early Gnostic heresy, because I think what he says in these passages is that if somebody denies that Jesus has come in the flesh, then essentially they're a false prophet. They're not of us. They have left us. And this was an issue. One of the aspects of the Gnostic heresy was a denial that Jesus came in a physical body. And the reason why, well, it's obvious why that was a heresy, because if Jesus didn't physically come and and live and die and resurrect as a human being, then we're still dead in our sins and trespasses, and the entire Christian faith just crumbles to the ground like a house of cards. So the Gnostics believed that the spiritual was good and that the physical was bad. So anything spiritual, good, anything physical, bad. So if you attempt to syncretize, again, here's that syncretism idea. If you attempt to syncretize Christianity with Gnosticism, then you end up with a Christ who didn't come in the flesh. You can't serve two masters. One's going to win out over the other. And for the Gnostics, their Gnosticism won out over their Christian commitments. So that's the specific context of that passage. Now, our digital capabilities, if you think about it, they bring men and women from all over the world into our homes and lives. It's just unprecedented abilities to communicate and digest information. It's common for us Christians to have our favorite preachers, teachers, YouTubers, podcasters, Instagram, influencers, and whatever, or just know in general the big name men and women within American Christianity. If you're listening to this podcast you're familiar with, I'm sure, many, many names, big names within American Christianity and big outlets and institutions. Christianity Today, the Gospel Coalition, Canon Press, G3, people like that. So we've got to be able to consume, though, these platforms and these individuals like John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. So here's what he says at the beginning of chapter 4. 
Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This reminds me of Acts and the idea of being a Berean. So the Bereans were noted by Luke in the book of Acts as being more noble than the Thessalonians or somebody else. And the reason why the Bereans were noted as being more noble than this other group of people is because when the gospel was preached to the Bereans, the Bereans opened up their Bibles to see if in the Old Testament what Paul and others were preaching to them was true or not. So they didn't just simply believe what they were told, they verified what they had been told to see if it was true. And we need to do the same thing with whoever we listen to or watch or whatever the case may be. And when our favorite Christian celebrities, for lack of a better term, begin sounding like the world and the world starts listening to them, we can learn from John that that's a massive red flag. So I have three specific examples I wanted to share. Rob Bell, David Platt, Matt Chandler. So Rob Bell, for those of you who have forgotten about him or are unfamiliar with him, he was a big name in evangelical Christianity. He really rose to prominence about, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago or so. He came out with a video series called Numa. this guy, which was about the Holy Spirit. So this guy was young, charismatic, well-spoken. He pastored a huge church, had the video series. I can't remember if he was writing books at that point or not. But anyway, so he had this epiphany, if you will, that there actually is no such thing as hell. And Rob Bell wrote a little book called Love Wins, in which he essentially denies the doctrine of hell and denies the reality of an eternal punishment for those who on this side of eternity do not bow the knee to Christ. And I don't know what you would call Rob Bell syncretizing Christianity with in this instance. He's syncretizing Christianity with a coexist bumper sticker. I don't know because he essentially promoted this universal idea of salvation that it doesn't really matter what religion you are, what your path to God is. You're eventually going to get there. The love of God is so big and so encompassing that apparently the rest of his attributes don't matter whatsoever. His that he's a just God, that he's a wrathful God, a vengeful God, a God of anger as well. None of that matters. None of those attributes. Just love wins. Love's going to completely flip everything upside down on its head. And what was interesting is one of the things that motivated Rob Bell to rethink his position on hell or maybe come out with his actual position on hell that he held the whole time was something somebody said about Gandhi. I can't remember the exact context, but somebody basically said to him in some sort of context that Gandhi was in hell. And so Rob Bell just couldn't believe that a man like Gandhi would be in hell, even though Gandhi is in hell because he died apart from Christ. He never repented of his sins and followed Jesus. So that would be one example. A guy who was a Christian, who was a big name, he attempts to syncretize Christianity with something else, this universal idea of all paths lead to Christ, and he ended up completely unorthodox. I don't follow Bell that closely anymore, but last time I heard, he had just become essentially completely liberal on every possible position whatsoever. The guy's not even a Christian anymore. He may claim he is, but his beliefs don't back it up whatsoever. His fruit's completely rotten. Another one, the second guy I mentioned was David Platt. So David Platt was one of those young, restless, and reformed guys from about 10, 15 years ago. So was Matt Chandler, and I initially got big into that movement. I consumed Platt, Chandler, Mark Driscoll, even some of the older reformed 
and restless guys like John Piper and Tim Keller because they were kind of caught up in that movement. This is when Gospel Coalition launched was around that time and was caught up in that movement as well. And then some decent guys like Bodie Bauckham and Kevin DeYoung were in that movement too. Uh, but anyway, so I, I remember consuming these guys a lot. I, I really, especially Chandler. I really liked Chandler's preaching style. He was brash, unapologetic, in your face, direct and blunt. Gee, why would I like a guy like that? Who knows? Anyway, so David Platt, right? Seems like this orthodox, straight-up guy. Now, with with 2020 being hindsight, I see things differently now about Platt, some dangers even early on. But, you know, it was about, what, maybe five, six years ago? I can't remember if it was T4G or whatever. I don't know. It's, it's so hard to keep track of when these guys go woke. I can't remember when it was, but I just remember thinking, what is David Platt talking about? Anyway, so it is his his Amos 524, Let Justice Roll Down Like Waters, sermon or speech that he did. Again, I can't remember if it was T4G, but it was about five or six years ago. And he takes Amos 524 and the book of Amos, which is God just lambasting Israel for its lack of justice, but its lack of showing biblical justice, you know, doing mercy, uh, walking humbly with God, following God's commands, being obedient to his commands, you know, having justice for the poor and the widow according to God's standards of justice for the poor and the widow. So when we talk widow, when we talk about God's justice, you know, in one aspect we're talking about giving somebody what they owe and you receiving what you are owed, and then even more than that, a righteous standard according to God's word. Well, he takes Amos 5.24 and completely co-ops it to the social justice movement. So David Platt takes Christianity and has just continued to do so more and more, syncretizes it with so, with the social justice movement, syncretizes it with critical race theory. And he, you end up with him preaching a sermon on Amos 5.24 being about justice for minorities, getting rid of unequitable outcomes, the fact that white people have better outcomes than black people, and that somehow being automatically evidence of an injustice. So he took biblical orthodoxy when it came to the justice of God and combined it with a neo-Marxist movement, a totally atheistic and ungodly movement. And the world started listening to him, and he started sounding like the world. And the same thing with Matt Chandler. Oh, there was one other thing about David Platt, his My World is So White sermon. Remember that sermon where he gets up and he's just lamenting, my world is so white. I'm just surrounded by so many white people. It's like, dude, you married a white woman. You have white children. America's predominantly white. Why are you, first of all, why are you worried? Of course your world's going to be predominantly white. You're a white dude and you married a white woman. Your children are white. Your family's all white. It's okay. It's okay to be white, David Platt. But he just was lamenting the fact that he didn't have enough ethnic and racial diversity in his life as if that's some sort of a command from God, which it's not. You are not in sin in any way whatsoever if the people you predominantly roll with look like you and sound like you and like the same things you do. Birds of a feather flock together. It's how God created us. There's nothing wrong with people who are like-minded and look alike hanging out. The problem becomes when you see other ethnicities and races as below yours, them as less than human, and you have animosity towards them because of their ethnicity. That's when sin enters the picture. So he got caught up on the social justice bandwagon. And the same thing with Matt Chandler. You could 
give dozens of examples of Matt Chandler. I'll just give one, one that's most prominent in my mind, his Anglo 8 Black 7 comment. Matt Chandler gets up at, again, one of these conferences, it might have been MLK 50 or something like that, and he's talking about his hiring practices. What, what does he do when he seeks to hire somebody for the ministry? Oh, you know, I'll tell you what. Let me Give me a second. I mean, it's going to seem like no time at all to you. I'm going to find the clip, get it queued up, and play it, and then it'll be all good. Then you can just hear it for yourself. Okie dokie, I'm back. So I found it. I'm just going to go ahead and play it. It's about a couple minutes long. I'm just going to go ahead and play it. And until it gets to the part that I'm waiting for, seeing so it more of the context. But here we go. Here's Woke Matt Chandler. It means at the Village Church, we are going to be serious about seeking and finding gifted, godly, ferocious persons of color for legitimate power. I'm sorry. I forgot he said ferocious. Get them ferocious black men preaching and seats of not just voice but shaping of culture at TBC this has not been easy it has not been quick we have failed often we have stumbled forward oftentimes with bloody knees and tearful eyes to give an illustration of this just most recently um, the the village church is in the process of rolling off our multi-site um, campuses to be autonomous churches. The, another talk for another day, but uh, we feel this has been wrought by the Spirit of God through a lot of prayer and seeking the face of God. It's not a slight on that, that ecclesiology. It's just we feel like the Lord's wanting to do something different with us. And mm, Anytime somebody says, I just feel like the Lord, that's, that's also a red flag. That's a different podcast topic for another day, but so many, man, I forgot how many red flags there were with this guy. He went ultra woke. Um, we, we have struggled to, to find men who can be a campus pastor for a season and lead into being the pastor of an autonomous church down in Dallas and out in Fort Worth. And so we, we've been looking and, and having conversations, and I have called um, every African-American man I know and, and went, who you got? I need, here's I need a black man. Find me a black man. Can I get an SOS out on a black man? Matt, Chan Matt Chandler needs a black man stat. That's what I need. Um, wait, how, how do I wait, help me? Right? We, we, I'm like, I'm, I've got a lot of white friends, a lot of, but what I, I would love to just say, here's, here's 2,000 people in an $11 million building. Go lead them. And so one of the firms that's helping us find men said, let me ask you a question, Pastor Matt. If, if we find an Anglo 8 and an African-American seven, which one do you want? I said, I want the African-American seven. And he said, what if we find an Anglo eight and an African-American six? And I said, then give me the Anglo eight because the African-American six will look and feel to our people like the kind of tokenism that I'm preaching against. Uh, it's still tokenism, Matt, I hate to break it to you. It's still tokenism to hire the black seven. I'm glad, I'm, isn't that nice? Don't you just, isn't it heartwarming to know that People talk about human beings as the black and the the black eight or the black seven and the Anglo eight and the black six. Isn't that nice? You're just a you're a number and a color. I guess Anglo is not a color. Anyway, there you go, Matt Chandler. 
That is a syncretization of Christianity and stupidity. <laughs> no, really, though, that's a, that's a syncretization of Christianity and DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, critical race theory, social justice ideology. Who sounds like that? Who sounds like David Platt? Oh, I got too many white people in my life. Amos 524 means social justice. Who sounds like Matt Chandler? Give me the black, give me the black seven over that Anglo eight. Who sounds like that? The world, the world sounds like that. The Bible doesn't sound like that. You're not going to find anywhere in the Bible, stop hanging out with your own ethnicity. You're not going to find anywhere in the Bible, God's justice means socialism and manufacturing outcomes and making your life less white. You're not going to find anywhere in scripture the requirements for elder being they're a particular race. It's nowhere in the scriptures. Both of these men are unbiblical and heretical when it comes to their point of views. They have left their first love. They do not care about faithfulness to God in these areas, at least. They care about capitulating to the world. And it doesn't just have to be Christian celebrities. It can be our friends. And that's when it's really hard. When we watch our friends walk away from the faith, when we watch our friends choose the world over God, and we've seen that a lot lately, choosing the science and worshiping the God of the government during COVID, choosing that over Christianity and Christian fellowship, choosing wokeness and social justice ideology, whether it's somebody hardcore like Platt or Chandler, or it's just a weak squish like Neil Shenvey, watching people like that choose that over Orthodox Christianity, it's hard. I have a, a friend of mine who, it's funny, so he was a staunch, young, restless, and reformed Calvinist when I was not, when I was an Arminian, when I was a soft, squishy, flaky little Arminian. And him and I would, in a good-natured way, go back and forth about, you know, Arminianism versus Calvinism. And then when I was converting to Calvinism in the summer of 2020, remember that summer? When I was converting to Calvinism in the summer of 2020, he had left the faith. And he had left the faith by following the, so the social justice movement out of the faith. I mean, people like to talk a lot about the, what's a catchy woke slogan? Oh yeah, the, the, what the, public school to prison pipeline for minorities or whatever the case may be, all these pipelines that we want to talk about. How about the, the wokeness to out of Christianity pipeline? How many Christians? I had another friend of mine from college started marching with Black Lives Matter, advocating for Black Lives Matter, gave up on his uh, ministry and his mission to a particular town in California where I used to live, gave up on that, moved to Atlanta, Georgia to be a social justice lawyer, to, to go to law school there. He became a homosexual and left the faith. Uh, another guy got involved with Black Lives Matter and the social justice movement uh, and also embraced homosexuality and has left the faith. And, and then my friend who was a Calvinist, got involved in the social justice movement, and Antifa was one of those people marching during the summer of George Floyd, screaming in the faces of police officers, leaves the faith. That's when it's really tough. When you elevate the temporal above the eternal. Now, the temporal matters. This, this earthly side of things definitely matters. But when you elevate the temporal over and above the eternal, you end up leaving the faith. And I'm sure that many of us can relate to that happening. But that's why it's important to understand, circling back to the center of this podcast episode, it's why it's important to understand what love is. 
and why we have to have a biblical understanding of love, or we are going to be swayed and duped into lies and nonsense like David Platt, Rob Bell, Matt Chandler, and countless friends of mine have been duped into because they weren't Berean and they didn't have their heads on straight. We got to have our noses in the scriptures and we got to have an understanding of what biblical love actually is. So again, this week it was biblical love. Love is faithfulness to God. Love is faithfulness to God. And next episode, I'll talk about how love is obedience to his commands and is special affection for our Christian brothers and sisters. I might get to that one first, or I might, I'm, I have a couple other episodes I want to do. So, uh, you know, Lord willing, I'll eventually get to that. But either way, I enjoyed today's episode. Man, Matt Chandler. That was a walk down memory lane. I did a video on that a year or two ago. I think it's still on my page. You should go check it out. Maybe I'll put a link in the show notes. Man, I forgot he did that. I forgot he said that. What a crazy, find me a black man. Find some, has somebody found Matt Chandler a black man yet? Maybe we can get to the bottom of that. All right. God bless (laughs) y'all. We'll see you next time.